Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. So um, amount saved, I have between my 401k and my Roth combined 205,000. Oh my gosh. Hello, and welcome to Planetials Podcast, Future Rich. I'm your host, Barbara Ginty, and I'm also a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. And I am here with my guest today, Ruthie. Hi, Ruthie. Hello. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself. So we normally do age, relationship status, location, job, income. My name is Ruthie. I live in Brooklyn, New York. I work in Manhattan, as a lot of people do, I'm sure. I am 35 years old. I am single and live alone, and I make $104,000 a year. Oh, that's great. It's great, but not for New York. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I ha- having previously lived in New York, money doesn't go very far in New York, especially with I rent. know. I kind of feel like Mario Brothers sometimes. Like, I walk outside, and then, like, you get hit, and you lose all your coins, like, immediately. Yes. Like- Okay, so you're making 104000 yes, which in New York doesn't go as far as you, one would think, which we'll discuss. But what exactly is your role? So you left nonprofit. This is interesting. So I came from the nonprofit world. So this is my first for-profit job that I've had. And there's a lot of differences, obviously. But also part of my story, I guess, is that with having this job, which I've had for about three years now, I feel like I'm playing a little bit of catch-up from having made such little money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Previously, previous like 12 years of my life. <laughs> I was really hesitant to do it at first because I love museums and I love nonprofits, but I moved to New York for like a total dream job at a very high caliber museum. And I realized that I liked New York a little bit more than I expected that I would. And I wanted to stay here, but I couldn't keep doing that and working in museums. So the institution that I work for has a collection of art and I help sort of manage the logistics of that collection. So storage and shipping and packing and insurance and installation and framing and that sort of thing. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. It is the best. I love it. 
it's like it appeals to all of my strengths and interests. I'm good at it. Like I'm the person for the job. Absolutely. Oh, that's amazing. That's also really nice to love what you do because so many people don't love what they do. You have to. We spend way too much time at work not to. <laughs> yeah, we spend way. I agree. I 100% agree. We spend way too much time at work to not love what you do. I mean, there is a part of me that, you know, is like, I love this so much that I would do it for free. But also, like, I can't do that either. <laughs> also, I do not support you doing it for free. <laughs> I want you to love your job and get paid for it. <laughs> so yeah, New York is an interesting place right now. So I've been hearing some wild stories that because I want to go in through like what your expenses are and everything, Mm -hmm. but that the rent is like bonkers right now. Like it's astronomical. It is. Yeah. Rent is not ideal in New York. So I feel a little bit fortunate in that I transitioned uh, from having a roommate to living alone sort of during the pandemic, I guess you could say. Um, And it was the time that I, at the time that I moved, people were still pretty actively leaving town. And so I moved at a time that rates were dropping, which is unusual, I think, for New York in general. It was super unusual. And honestly, if I had held out maybe a little bit longer, I maybe could have gotten an even better deal. But, you know, it's like time in the market. You have no idea. You have no idea. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. In the moment, you have no idea. Like, rent had only ever gone down. The other time they went down, because I lived in New York then, was in 2007, 2008, because of the banking crisis. So, like rents reduced then. So if you think about it, so it was rents reduced, we'll just say it was 2000. I can't remember it was seven or eight, but let's say eight. And then they went down again in, I guess the the end of 2020, right? So rents hadn't gone down the rent prices for 12 years. Mm-hmm. So it's a very unlikely for rents to go down. Yeah, and not only were rents sort of going down at that time, but also people were just leaving town sort of in mass. And because of that, a lot of units that were rent stabilized that had been inhabited for a long time became available again, and they can only raise the rent so much in those rent stabilized units. So I actually moved into a rent stabilized unit in a building that like normally had had like a waiting list. Wait, okay. So tell me how you get a rent stabilized. This was like the unicorn that was always discussed. So I lived in Manhattan for, or in and around Manhattan. I lived Hoboken, Roosevelt Island, Manhattan. I never made it to Brooklyn uh, for about 13 years. Honestly, I found it on Craigslist. You found it on Craigslist? Yeah. That's wild. What does it say on Craigslist? Does it say we have a unicorn here? You can come see it and get it? Or does no, it No, I just was searching, you know, Craigslist and Street Easy for sort of those keywords and, you know, more people were leaving apartments than were looking for apartments at the time and I just got really lucky. Oh my god, that's amazing. So tell me what your rent is. Yeah. When I moved in, it was 1825, which at the time didn't feel that great. But I was like, it's okay in the long run, like this will work out because it's rent stabilized. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there have been um, quite a few increases since then in the last two years, the rent control guidelines board have voted for pretty significant increases. So I'm now at 1945. However, because market rents have gone up so, so much in the last like year or two. Like that feels like a deal now. I would say it is a deal. Yeah. To live alone in New York. And you have, and it's a one bedroom. It's a one bedroom. Yeah. About 500 square feet. I have high ceilings. It's lovely. So I think we just need to calibrate this for everyone listening from around the country who is like 1945 for one bedroom. (laughs) A one bedroom is luxury in New York city for anyone who is listening, who doesn't, has never lived there. To have a bedroom, which you you have a door for that you yes. can close. And I, do you have windows? Windows. South-facing big windows. Closet. Okay. I'm so yep. lucky. 
These are all things that you do not get when you live in New York City. There are a lot of things that you give up to live in New York City for the ability to live there and participate in that work environment, right? Because it's, you know, pretty cutthroat and you're at usually at the top of your career and a lot of exposure. So yeah, that is, you are living in luxury, my dear. <laughs> I know, I know. And it's funny, it's really easy to lose sight of the things that you want when you're looking for an apartment in New York. Yes. It's so scarce and you have to move so fast. And not only yes. that, but like in most instances, putting down, you know, a first month, last month security deposit, like that's a small fortune. Well, <laughs> like, I've never spent this much money on anything in my life before. <laughs> and qualifying. Like my sister lived in the city and I don't think she once made enough money to not have a cosigner on her rent. For her apartment. Yeah, yeah. Because you have that, to make usually like 40 times rent. 40 times rent. Yeah, exactly. That's the standard in New York for sure. Which people, when they hear that, are like, what do you mean? And I'm like, it means that you could be 40 and still needing someone to co-sign your, your rent. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, having a room, like... Or having a roommate so that you yeah. both, yeah. I was in such a rush one time to get an apartment because when you say they're scarce, they are. I outran the other girls back to the broker's office. Like I just was faster. That's the only reason we got the apartment was because I made it there faster. I, I was literally racing this other woman down the streets of New York to get there to sign first. And in our haste of like trying to outrun you know, like we didn't have enough time to look at the apartment like very thoroughly. So we signed for it, right? And you don't see it again, right? You sign and then that was, you know, you get your move-in date or whatever. And my dad was moving me in and the three of us worked at a financial firm. And my dad called us all into the living room, which was teeny tiny, but mind you, teeny, teeny, tiny. And he goes, okay, all three of you are very smart. You all have very big jobs right now. What are we missing here in this apartment? Oh no. Each other. And we're like, I don't know. And he's like, somebody should know. And we're like, we don't know. He's like, you don't have a refrigerator. <laughs> I was like, what? And my dad's like, look around. You do not have a refrigerator. Uh, Three uh. of us. So like New York is like next level for apartments. So that is a steal. I always think if you can get like a true one bedroom that's like nice and with windows, it sounds like strange to say, but if you like actual good lighting in your apartment and you're not like facing a brick wall and you have no idea if it's day or night outside, that's, I think under 2000 is really good. Right. And that's reasonable for like your income level. Because what do you what are you taking home about every do you get paid every two weeks? I get paid every two weeks. And so right, again, because I moved from a non profit role, um, or from a nonprofit career into a for profit position that I'm in now, I, I'm sort of like catching up, I feel like on some 401k contributions. Yep. So when I started the job, i started at 10% because I was like, this is just money I've never seen before. So I'm just yes. going to continue to never see it. <laughs> Good idea. And I have it increasing 1% every year automatically. So I'm putting in 14% now. So after that, and, you know, health and transportation and taxes and etc. Each of my paychecks ends up being about $2,180. Perfect. Okay. So then one paycheck goes right to rent and utilities probably, right? Yeah, basically. Okay, perfect. That's fine. And then you have 2,180 to live on. Right. And then I max out my Roth IRA. So there goes 541. Perfect. Oh, good. I'm happy. Okay. So you're doing more than 14% to retirement because you have to account the, the money you put into the Roth. Exactly. And I also have a 6% employer match. Ooh, okay, so in going into the 401k is actually 20%. Correct. Good. So you're doing a great job saving. Thank you. <laughs> because you're really doing cuz you're putting 6,000 into the Roth. Yes. 541 a month. Okay. So then you're doing, let's see, 
25% essentially. Yep, exactly. That's fantastic. And then I'm just going to circle back to that 40 times the rent scenario you mentioned. Yes, yes. I have this idea in my head that I should be paying 40 times the rent and what I pay is less than that. So the difference between what I pay and what that would be is about $650. So I also Mm -hmm. try to save that every month as well. Because if you were in a non-rent stabilized apartment, you would actually be paying probably like 2,500, 2,700. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you're saving a lot. Okay. So of the money that you get, the 2,180, uh, the second paycheck, you're putting 541 into the Roth and then you're saving how much more? The six? 660. Fantastic. So you're saving like half of that. You're saving a lot. I'm saving a lot. Yeah. I, um, it's my instinct to do so, <laughs> first of all. So tell me how much you how much you have saved up. Is the six sixty just going into emergency fund? Yeah, well, that's a good question. The six sixty is going to an account. I have more than I think I need for an emergency fund, so I'm sort of like sorting out like what my plan is, I guess. To answer your question, I give myself about like six hundred ish dollars of like spending money every two weeks, every paycheck, which feels tight. And again, I know that probably sounds crazy to other people. They're like twelve hundred dollars like allowance a month sounds great, but in New York, again, like it goes fast. You can't even wake up without it costing you $40. Yeah. <laughs> so, so true. But I'm pretty like savvy in general. Like I have a saving instinct, like coming from nonprofit, right? I mean, I feel like you ha- establish good habits. Exactly. Exactly. That and like also just sort of like upbringing stuff. So um, amount saved, I have between my 401k and my Roth combined 205,000. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I've been trying to research benchmarks and the internet is all over the place, as I'm sure you know. Um, You have one times your salary saved. And then other people are like, you should have three times your salary saved by your 35. I'm like, what is the answer? (laughs) Well, also it's hard to calibrate that because right, like you just said, you spent 12 years in nonprofit. Right. But that's a very different income threshold than going to for-profit. Also very different than living in New York. Also, New York is really amazing. I loved my experience in New York and I wouldn't be where I am in my career without having spent as much time in New York. But it's also the cost of living is really high. Everything is really, like, as you say, you wake up and you spend money. And like there, I don't think there's anywhere else that I know of. And maybe somebody could comment on this, but like, it is super expensive. Like, and you're tipping everywhere. Like, yeah, you like tip for everything in New York, right? Everything is a tip. So not only are you spending the money, but everything you do, you tip, right? Like, well, and every single thing is so heavily taxed, like just like taking an Uber, for example, it's like, okay, yes. your Uber cost is this, but then like add, you know, a third of it to tax. tax. Yeah. And then we're going to tip. And then we're going to so, <laughs> And then we're going to tip on that. Um, so like everything is just very expensive because yeah, in New York City, you are paying federal tax, New York state tax and New York City tax. You have three taxes. Plus you have your Medicare which it's technically not a tax, but you pay Medicare and then you pay social security. So there are five people taking out of your paycheck before it gets to you. It's devastating. Um, but that's why this is really impressive. As a, as a joke, I have a friend who is from upstate and lives in Manhattan as you did. And she, you know, we're always kind of complaining about the cost of everything, of course, but like Ubers in particular, she's like, it'll cost me $35 to get like across like, five avenues in an Uber. She's like, I can get to Schenectady for $35. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Yeah. You become a little desensitized to it. Like I remember it was like 
really bad weather or something. And I was like with my friends in Brooklyn and I was like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to take an Uber home. And I guess it was surge pricing because, you know, when it rains, it's like everything stops in New York. And then there was like traffic on the bridge or whatever. And I think my Uber home was like $120. I was like, that's insane. I could have flown somewhere. Like I could have bought a flight to go somewhere. And instead I just went from Brooklyn back to my apartment at like 10 o'clock at night because it was raining. Which is why also I feel like it's kind of important to have one of the reasons, at least I feel it's important to have sort of like a loftier sort of emergency fund is because yes, correct. expenses are just more than you. Everything costs more than you think it will. <laughs> everything takes longer than you think it will. And everything costs more than you think it will. <laughs> Definitely always takes longer. Yes. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every day. I gave AG1 a try because I was tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a simple solution to boost my immune system support. I take it first thing in the morning before I even have my coffee and it makes me feel ready to take on the day. As a very busy entrepreneur and with recent health challenges, it is super important that I'm able to get immune system support because I don't have time to get sick. If you're looking for a simpler, effective investment for your health, try AG1 and get five free AG1 travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash future rich. That's drinkag1.com forward slash future rich. Check it out today. No, so 205 between the 401k and the Roth is fantastic. What's your breakdown on that? 135 in the 401k and 70 in the Roth. Amazing. That's fantastic. Perfect. Okay. And then what do you have for an emergency? I know you probably have more than you said you have more than you need for an emergency fund, but what do you have outside of the retirement? Yeah. So outside of the retirement accounts total, I have 75K. And part of that 660, I've been doing a month in savings is like a potential down payment, maybe. I don't know. That's like one of the question marks. I feel that I need to have a stronger than average emergency fund, like more than like three months, for example, because I have a job that's very unique and not easily replaceable. That's very, very smart and perceptive of you to recognize that there aren't as many roles available for what you're doing. And so therefore, if you lost your job, it could take a little longer. Right. I mean, I I have a unicorn apartment and I have a unicorn job. So like if... (gasps) Either of those things were to like go amiss in some way, you know, I just feel like I need to be extra prepared. And also maybe that's just my personality. Yeah. And it's good peace of mind, right? It probably helps you sleep better at night. Right. Totally. Now in that 75K, like where the emergency fund starts and stops and where other, you know, potential buckets of savings start and stop, I don't know exactly. (laughs) You know, part of me was like, oh, I should save for a down payment. And that's sort of one of my questions too, is like, like every single time I run any kind of numbers about buying versus renting, like the answer is no, but I still have the craving to do it for some reason. (laughs) New York City is a hard place to buy because it's, as we just talked about, it's so expensive. And so like, let's just look at the numbers real quick, because I think that like, if you on, you know, on social media and stuff. And I just go back to social media because it's just so prevalent in our lives these days. You know, it's just like a constant banter. There's a lot of rhetoric around like you need to buy to be successful financially. That is not true. Mm-hmm. That's not true at all. I think as long as you're making sound financial decisions, you don't need to buy. And I think you should only be buying if it makes financial sense. Like I don't think you should buy to buy. Yeah. And I don't think it does, especially since I have the rent stabilized unit that I have. Yeah. So here, I'll just give you my own personal situation. So when I live in New York, I never bought ever. Could I have? 
Yes. Did my mom like send me listings all the time? Absolutely. I also had a really great apartment and I, when I left the city, so what I did in 2020 is my mentee was living in my apartment she like took it over and we were like splitting the rent so I could stay there when I wanted to. And then I decided I wasn't going to probably need an apartment in Manhattan, a place upstate and a place in Salt Lake City. It just, I don't know why I thought that was going to be a good idea. But as we talked about, everything takes a long time in New York City. So like it didn't make any sense to do that. And so we got the the lease switched over to her name in 2020 because that was like a great opportunity where they weren't doing broker fees and they were like really amenable to anything. Mm -hmm. But so for those 13 years and the entire time I paid it, lived in New York, my rent, I never paid more than $2,000 ever. Amazing. I just always got really lucky. I had three roommates most of the time. During the uh, 2008, I negotiated our rent down, but I always had a lot of roommates until I got this really great apartment that uh, my, I think it started at 2000 even is where it started. So maybe it went up to 2075, but it was in that ballpark of like kind of where you are. Mm-hmm. And I negotiated that too because I had good credit. I didn't need a co-signer and it was a six floor walk up. So that eliminates a lot of the market, right? Nobody wants to walk six floors. I was like, this will be great. I'm going to get rid of my gym membership. So I never, yeah, exactly. Free stair workout. But so I never bought either. So like, and I think that like, if I look back on my finances, I think it would have been a burden had I bought. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because I wouldn't have saved as much. And I wouldn't have grown that much in equity, I don't think, right? Because in the beginning of your mortgage, you're really paying interest. And there's so many fees that you don't get money back on. That's exactly it. Like, and you know, this isn't likely, but you know, if you were to stay in the place for the full 30 year mortgage term, like you end up paying like more than double in the end. And it's not likely that you'll be able to flip that unit for more than double the price. I don't think, I don't know. Correct. Correct. Because you're not making anything back on the taxes. You're not making anything back on the home, you know, the HOA fees, which can be in New York, your maintenance fees could be a thousand dollars a month, Mm -hmm. just that. And you don't get that back ever. So now that I like had started doing that research and those calculations, my mind sort of is in the process now of shifting to like, well, maybe I should take that $660 and then like max out my 401k or just live a little. (laughs) All of those are good options. And this is another thing I'm going to propose to you, which is a little different. I don't know where, where are you from originally? Oh, uh, hmm, hard to say. I moved around quite a bit, like kind of DC area, Florida. Got it. Okay. So here's another idea. And I really like this idea. It might not be for you. You could always buy and not buy in New York. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like a second home type situation or investment property. Right. Interesting. Okay. Manhattan considered this one. Tell me more. Okay. So the reason why I like this one is because if you can find a property, I, I, you can find a place you really like. Like for instance, some areas upstate are still very affordable. Not all, but the farther you get away from the city, some places are still very affordable. Or maybe there's a place you like to visit where you have family. And I would just say it is helpful if it's a place you're going to be going to, I think personally, or that you have like friends or family that like, if you need someone to check on the property, someone could help you out in a bind. But there's all these other places in the country where you could afford to buy and it would be comfortable and you could swing it if it wasn't rented with your 660 a month. Fascinating. So it's a little bit more work. It is like I, when they say like real estate is passive, it is to a degree, but it's also a job, right? So it depends. And the thing is, you could just keep this in the back of your mind. It doesn't need to be something now. Maybe it's something down the road, but maybe you decide you like really like to go to Connecticut on the weekends, right? So maybe you buy a little cottage there and then you rent it out when you're not there. So if you're really interested in buying and you like the idea of real estate, I wouldn't rule it out completely because you want to live in New York. It doesn't have to be in New York where you buy. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. Good point. (laughs) 
and and when you get outside of the New York City metro area and like a little farther away, even in Pens- you could buy in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. places where you could get to within a few hours so you could use it as well. But then you're talking about purchase prices that are way lower because like in New York City, I mean... I don't. I haven't looked recently, but I would think you're going to need to spend like seven hundred thousand for a one bedroom. Right. Yeah. It's um. It's high. <laughs> and that's without all the taxes and fees and all of that other stuff. But let's see. Now, someone might say you can't find a two hundred thousand dollar property. But if you got a two hundred thousand dollar property, we'll have to see where they just raised rates. But let's just say you got it for. I know the rates also right now are just so horrible that right now is clearly not. Not. Yeah. I would definitely wait. I also think housing prices will come down a little given that the rates are higher, I think they're going to have to shift a bit. Mm-hmm. But like to give you an idea, if you took a loan amount of 200,000, so meaning like after down payment, you you were borrowing 200,000 at 6%, your your monthly payment would be 1,200. Mm-hmm. That's accomplishable for sure. Yeah. And that's your principal and interest, not homeowners insurance or anything. But if you got something in that $200,000 range, you could probably swing it, especially if it was rented. Right. So I would say, I think right now you have the saving ratio that you have is excellent. And I would keep doing this for a little bit until I wouldn't buy to buy. But if you decide down the road, you're like, really want to own, you know, you want to own something as well, I would look to do it outside of the city. And I would look to do something small, like a condo, a townhome, a little cottage, something very manageable for you at a lower price. Easy maintenance, being nearby necessarily. Yes. And something smaller, because smaller, um, just like less, maybe overhead for you, mm-hmm. like dip your toe into it. Cause as a single person, it's a lot riding on you, right? Cause then you're working full time, having to maintain your life and a property. I would go for like what you can do. And it seems like to be your vibe anyway, where you wouldn't be stretched financially. You could swing it no matter what. And so I would go smaller. Mm-hmm. Right. But I wouldn't rush into it because houses, I mean, I have two properties and I'm happy that I have them, but they're a lot of work. It's another job. <laughs> It's another job. Yeah. Everyone who's like, oh, it's so passive. I'm like, what, what did I do wrong? Because it is not passive for me. Right. It's passive until like your water heater breaks or. (laughs) Yes. It's passive until your water heater breaks. And I just saw uh, Potter, my producer for the podcast, and she was telling the story about the snake, the the snake infestation she had in her house. And I think the snake guy costs like six or eight thousand dollars. You know, I mean, the snake guy six or eight thousand dollars. Yeah, to get rid of the snakes. (laughs) But it's like not something like who you would never have planned for that, right? Like that's not something anyone's like, oh, you're going to need a snake charmer, and he only takes cash, and he's going to be between six and eight grand. Like you would, you wouldn't know that. That's true. Yeah, I feel like the house thing or apartment thing or whatever it ends up being is definitely not soon, right? Yeah, I would say that's like, if I were like to take a guess, I would say as you get in like closer to your 40s, like in the next five years, see where you are. Maybe at that point, you've like burnt out on the city and you're going to go do this job in another smaller city, right? Right. Like maybe you're moving to like, I don't know, a secondary city where you're still like getting a lot of the perks of being in a city, but you're doing it, you know, in another state where then housing is a lot more affordable, right? And so then maybe at that point, you're like, okay, now I'm just going to buy here and live here. A lot can change. So I definitely would not buy in New York City. I feel like that's a hard no. And then I would just keep real estate as like a back burner. So in the meantime, this 660 that I'm saving every month, like, should I reallocate that into my Roth and take advantage of the pre-tax opportunities? I mean, you're getting crushed with taxes in New York City. Exactly. That's why. And I love a discount. So <laughs> yeah. So if you can swing it, you could even split it with yourself, right? Because you're used to being frugal. Right. Give myself some spending money and then also yeah. put down a little bit. That's a good idea too. That was one of the scenarios. I would split it with yourself because I think that while you live 
in New York and it's possible you live there and retire there, it's probably more likely that you're not there in 10 years. Right. <laughs> I would enjoy yourself. Like use the extra money. Like, I don't know if you like the theater, like go to a show. And then I would put the difference into the 401k just because you're losing so much in tax. Mm-hmm. The other question that I have that's a little bit unrelated to all of this, and I don't know if if you have some opinions on this, but if you do, I'd love to hear sure. them, is the FSA versus HSA argument. Oh, well, the HSA can be turned into a retirement account. So that's always a really nice feature. I know. So I'm like, I'm exploring my tax optimizations right now. Can you tell? Yeah, no, I also, <laughs> I mean, I do not work for the IRS. And I will tell you, that tax avoidance is perfectly legal and encouraged in our tax code. It's tax evasion. That's right. So you are allowed to avoid tax and it is encouraged in our tax code that you avoid tax. That's how it's structured. Mm -hmm. So the FSA is use or lose it. Usually you only have one option. So do you have both at your company? I do have both options and I have decision paralysis also. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. I have that too a lot. I would do HSA because otherwise you're going to have to keep track of your FSA money. And I like the fact that the HSA, you're not going to be forced because you don't know, right? You have to pick your FSA amount in advance. You don't know what that year is going to be like. And if you're going to- I know. It's a total scheme that the FSA, like how does anybody know what their medical expenses are going to be? Some of course are anticipated, like if you have a prescription or something like that. Like, you know, if you're going to have like appendicitis or something, who knows? (laughs) You, you don't, yeah, you have no idea. I, so I would lean if you have the choice, the HSA, okay. just because if you don't use it, you don't lose it and you can move it into a retirement account. Yeah. And you can invest it. So that's, that would be my preference, especially if you have a choice. I'm surprised you have a choice to be honest. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then can you expense your commuting when you work in the city often, you can expense your Metro card and everything pre-tax? Yes. I do do pre-tax Metro card. Yes. Okay, good. Because that's gotten expensive. How much is it now for a monthly unlimited? Um, So they kind of changed it up a little bit. There's like, you still can buy a monthly Metro Pass if you want to, but they introduced the Omni system. Mm. They're trying to cut down on people just swiping other people in, which people do all the time. Like uh, if you have a monthly pass, yeah. it doesn't, there's no disadvantage to you to just like let other people Swipe in on your card. Out. And they were trying to evade that. So what they have now is this Omni system where you just tap your device or you can get an Omni card if you want. And what it does is you pay for your t- first 12 rides in the week. And then after that, your rides are free for that week. And then it resets like every Sunday or Monday. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So now you just pay like, you know, whatever your 275 is times 12 maximum. But if you use less than that, then, you know, then you use less. So it actually helps you a little bit. Oh, because it- yeah, because if you, you you don't pay for 12 automatically, it's only if you use exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So it's a little bit like better for the user and I guess also better for them because they're not having as many people getting like unfair free rides, I guess. But that would work out to be almost $132 a month if you're using all 12. Basically, yes. And then I also fairly regularly have to commute to New Jersey. So that's additional because it's a different train system. And do you expense that? Can you do that pre-tax as well, the train ticket? Yeah. Yeah. Is, is, is still, wait, what company is it? Uh, the, the pre-tax? Yeah. Isn't it like, do you have a credit card for it or no? Oh yeah, I do. Well, yeah, you, it's the same as like my healthcare. That's like all one card. I can use it for my transportation and for my, for my transit. But no, that's pre-tax because in New York, you want to do as much pre-tax as you can. Yeah, I'm doing my best. <laughs> Apparently you used to be able to use it on Uber pool, but because Uber pool doesn't exist anymore, you can't. Oh, that's a bummer. In my perfect world, you could also use it on city bike, but we don't all live in my perfect world yet. (laughs) Yeah, that would be nice too. That's a good way to commute. 
Okay, so let's see. Okay, so your your savings ratio is excellent. So I'm very happy about that. I would do the HSA. I wouldn't buy at the moment. I would definitely not buy in New York. I just don't think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. What about the money that I have in savings? Like obviously high yield savings account, but what else? Like, do you recommend like CDs or I feel like I bonds were hot for like a second and like now they're maybe back down. They were hot for a second and I did not recommend them because I do not recommend anything that you have to deal with the government. They're the worst. <laughs> I've had people, they are, only the government can just not answer their phone. Like, think about that. They have your money and you call them and they just don't answer. Like, they don't answer, don't call you back. So I've had, unfortunately, clients who were like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm like, I don't know. It sounds nice. If you're willing to deal with the government, have at it. Their website, their interface is horrible. They don't answer the phone. If you really want to make $700 and deal with them, go for it. And they are having a terrible time getting their money back. Mm -hmm. No good. The term for that was really five years. That's what the intention for the government was that they had your money for five years and that rate change. So I really like the high, I think right now the high yield savings is great because it's comparable to what you're getting in a CD, but there's no lockup. So I really think the high yield savings is a good place to be right now. And then technically you can invest some of it if you want, but I'm on the fence about that. The high yield savings rate right now is a really, you could do, well, you could do a portion of it in the market. Just know that the market goes up and down, right? So you want to make sure the true emergency part of it is in the high yield savings. Right. Because as we know, when an emergency happens, that's could could be when the market is also having an emergency. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned that my savings ratio is great. Do you feel like I'm like hitting my benchmark? I mean, I have almost double my salary in my retirement accounts. Like that feels good to you. You also have to add in the emergency fund. That's your total net worth. Right, right. Yeah, you have to count that. Yes, and so we can just do my little fun, like the compounding interest. So 7.2% compounding interest. You have 205,000 in retirement. So that's 410,000 when you're 45. If you do nothing else, which this will be greater because you know market should do more than 7.2%. Or even if it just does that, you're still adding. So then at 55, you have 820. And then at 65, uh, you have 1.6 and change. Beautiful. That's great. Yeah. As long as you keep doing this and you never touch it, which I don't think you will because you're very disciplined and you keep adding, your retirement is excellent. The key is that you've done all of this by 35, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's. I mean, the key is the, t- is the timing of it, right? Because the thing is, the older you get, like, so if you had done it at 45, right? Like, I'll just show you the difference. If you were 45 years old saying you had 205, that would still be great. But then at 55, you have 410. And then at 65, you have 820, right? 820 is very different than 1.6. Right. Okay. Time is on my side. (laughs) Time is on your side. So yeah, I would, for the time being with the extra money, I think you're better off plopping it away in the 401k, splitting it with yourself. Because I also think that there's a lot to be said for enjoying your hard work and the money that you earn. Like you want to like look back and have fond memories of New York and not just be like, I was trapped in my apartment because I had no, you know, I had to save everything. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's good to have a balance and you're doing a great job with savings. So even if you split that 600 with yourself and 300 goes into the 401k and then 300 goes back into your pocket and you won't lose the full 300 right into the 401k because you're not paying taxes. You'll probably have that about 400 back in your budget. Mm -hmm. I think that would be fantastic. And then even let's say if you live into your 60s in the city and you keep saving at this amount, you might not want to retire there. You could then always go with your emergency fund if that continues to grow. So let's just say 50,000 of it, you never end up needing and that's invested and continues to grow. And so 35, you have 50, 45, you have 100, 55, it's, we'll just say that this is in 50 of the 75 is invested. 55, you have 200, at 65, you have 400. 
that's non-retirement assets. So, and then you have like, we'll just say you have around 2 million in retirement. So then that 400,000 buys you, I don't know, maybe like Florida buys you a place in Florida and then you have the 2 million to supplement your income and social security, right? Yeah. sounds good when you say it all that way. <laughs> yeah. So I would keep the amount you need for the emergency fund, whether it's 25 or 35 in the high yield savings, the other monies can be invested as long as you, you know, you're comfortable with that the money in the market will go up and down. Mm-hmm. You know what you could do? You could do 250 into the 401k and keep doing $50 into that. So that non-retirement account keeps growing. Right. Yeah. I like that idea. Because the other thing too is even if I do like really double down and save very, very hard and like buy an apartment, like I'll just continue to have to keep doubling down because the apartment will be so expensive. Yeah. Because the thing is your taxes and your maintenance and and fees are never going to go down. Right. They're only going to go up. And you, you're right. You will repurchase the property with just that. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of buying in the city. Yeah. So let's do that. Do a little bit more into the 401k and then do at least 50 bucks a month into this non-retirement. Because I think what will protect you long-term is having non-retirement assets so that if you decide you want to buy down the road, you have the money available to do that. Right. Thing is you don't, I don't want you pulling from a retirement account to purchase. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that's it. That, those are all of my questions. Yeah, I love I love when I have someone on who's like super diligent about saving. It's like, it's so nice. It's so refreshing. And also like literally everything just gets easier because your money just keeps growing. Yeah, I feel very validated. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, this was a super fun one. So for all of our lovely listeners, you can follow us on Instagram for our most up-to-date information. Our handle is Future Rich Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.